The Talk Shop. A very good evening to you and welcome to the talk shop this Thursday evening on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. I am Masichaba Mdolo. Tonight we're looking at renewable energy and we're talking to two young men who are leading the this uh, um should we call it challenge or shall we call it endeavor? Simon Ho is co-founder of Aurora Power Solutions and non-executive director at Solar Future. And Dominic Wills is a technical director at both Aurora Power Solutions and Solar Future. Aurora Power Solutions is a renewable energy and energy efficiency project management company. We'll be getting up close with these two young gentlemen in a while. Let's get right into it. Focusing on renewable energy and talking about uh, young pioneers in this field, Aurora Power Solutions is a renewable energy and energy efficiency project management company. It has been co-founded by Simon Ho. He has 10 years of solar experience and an intimate knowledge of the solar industry locally and internationally. He was involved in the construction of a number of solar facilities in California and Spain. He is co-founder of Aurora Power Solutions and non-executive director at Solar Future. Also joining him is Dominic Wills, a technical director at both Aurora Power Solutions and Solar Future. He has a PhD in electrical engineering and he was involved in the contracting and design of one of South Africa's first solar power stations. Gentlemen, good evening to you and thank you so much for joining us this evening. Welcome on to the talk show. Good evening and thank you for having us on your show. Uh, good evening. Good evening. It's wonderful to have you with us tonight. And we will be taking your calls. Any questions around uh, um, renewable energy as well as the rise of these young men? You're very welcome to call us on 0891-104-207, or SMS us on 34701. SMS number is 34701 and SMSs are charged at two rand. Our guests are joining us from our Cape Town studio and we're going to kick off with you Simon just to get a sense of what we mean by renewable energy and energy efficiency project management. Yeah, thank you. Uh, they, essentially our company Aurora Power Solutions specializes in the development of those types of projects, renewable energy and initially energy efficiency. Uh, right now we actually specialize specifically in the development of large-scale solar projects in particular and so the, when I say developments I already talk about the origination of the the actual idea to the project and then through the development phases so the permitting and licensing of the project and also the design aspects of those different projects. Is there political will in South Africa today to make sure that renewable energy is uh, takes off the ground and is running? Yes, I, that, I think more and more so. And I think when we when we initially started Aurora Power Solutions, which was back in two thousand and and eight, uh, you know, we were quite fortunate because the the founders of the company at that stage, my brother and myself, um, and and and, and, and two other individuals, were actually outside South Africa. So we had some insight, I guess, into where renewable energy could could go um, in 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 other countries in in Europe and the states. Um, and looking at South Africa at that, at that time, it was clear that with the, the abundant renewable energy resources that we have, both in terms of wind and in solar in our country, that it was only really a matter of time before the government took seriously um, a real initiative in renewable energy. 
and so it, it 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 really was waiting for the structures and the, and the uh, policies to to align in order for that to happen and that did take a long time so from the beginning from 2008 when we initially entered the we made a decision to enter the the, the country and that was really also based on on a, a prognosis of, of looking at high energy high energy costs in the future where where the, the cost of energy through escom was was going to rise mm-hmm. Um, the the fact that they didn't the the, the supply and demand were, were getting very close to each other, and the the security of energy was becoming a big topic. It made it, made it easy to end at that point, um, and then from that point to 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 the point where the government actually has now started a, a, a renewable energy independent producer program, which we can talk more about um, in in a while. But that, that from that point, that really was when the market opened. That was took a good two or three years for that to actually happen, and a lot of persistence and, and persuasion uh, from our, our company and and. and and a lot of other local companies as well. When we come back, I want to talk about uh, your work in uh, California and Spain, and I want to bring in Dominic Wills, our other mover and shaker. We're joined tonight by two movers and shakers in the renewable energy field, Simon Hall, co-founder of Aurora Power Solutions, and Dominic Wills, a technical director at both Aurora Power Solutions and Solar Future. The Talk Shop. This is the talk shop on SAFM 104 to 107. I am Masachaba Mdolo. Our movers and shakers tonight are the uh, um, leaders in the renewable energy field. Simon Hall, co-founder of Aurora Power Solutions and non-executive director at Solar Future and Dominic Wills, a technical director at both Aurora Power Solutions and Solar Future. We're taking your calls on 0891-104-207. is the number to dial to join our conversation with our captains of industry in the renewable energy field. Or SMS us on 34701. SMS number is 34701 and SMSs are charged at two rand. Dominic, I'd like to bring you in at this point. I want to go back to um, Simon's work in California and Spain. But I just want to quickly touch base with you with regards to your work on uh, one of South Africa's first solar power stations. Tell us about that. Yeah, I think um, probably just to start off with um, the, the background that I had was was actually in, in the field of wind energy, mm-hmm. and um, that's where I did my um, most of my postgraduate studies and, and PhD in that sort of field. And um, I joined the, I joined the company on the strength of of Simon and Chris's um, uh, very strong um, convincing words, and um, very quickly got switched over to to um, on solar photovoltaic um, energy, which is um, r- really becoming a lot cheaper and a lot more viable than it was sort of five years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, I suppose the most important thing about um, constructing um, these solar plants and, and, and the way that they're put together at the moment um, is it's, it's all about managing risk. So that's really something about making sure that it's designed really well. But every last little um, detail is, is taken care of. Um, everything from the design and, 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 and making sure everything, all of your um, equipment and everything is, is selected carefully, all the way through to making sure that the last legal contract is signed with the right people and making sure the delivery of the project happens exactly as they're supposed to and, and, and according to time. Because if you any any way out of, out of those bounds, you essentially lose money. And these projects are, are very tightly controlled when it mm-hmm. comes to the the, um, the purse strings. 
Um, so, yeah, I suppose you're, you're dealing with, you're juggling quite a few things, but technical and legal and financial are the, probably the three most important. And aside from the financial, I mean, what are the challenges in designing a solar power station? What are the big, um, you know, issues to look out for? Uh, ultimately, with these projects, you know, they, they have to just deliver energy and they have to deliver energy reliably. So the most important thing, first and foremost, is, is yield. It's energy yield. How much are you actually going to get out of your um, project? And, um, you know, obviously the, the, the path of the sun is is very regular year on year and so um the way you design these projects is by using years and years of solar data and um and simulating them um uh on on the design you've actually selected so you want to have your panels facing exactly the right way in some cases you even select um a solar panel tracking system which will actually move with the sun so as the sun goes from east to west the the, the trackers actually spot the sun all the way through and they and that way they um they they produce more energy um so really everything you're thinking about is in minimizing the amount of cable that you're using to avoid cable losses mm-hmm. you're trying to make sure the solar panels are always getting the optimal amount of energy out of the sun and at the same time you are trying not to sort of overspend or, or overrun on any costs why the switch from wind to solar power? Um, I, you know, we, we haven't seen as much of an investment in wind energy in this country as in other countries. Um, and it is said that that is because um, we can't get it to power up the uh, big industries. How true is this? I think the, the, the one fundamental difference between uh, wind power and solar power for me, because I looked at um, both, you know, in quite a lot of detail. Mm. W- wind power really only works on a on a large scale. So um, the little wind generators you see on on boats and you know the odd people's homes and so on, they don't they don't come with the sort of efficiencies as the really big wind generators that we're starting to see dotted around the country. So, for example, um, in the Western Cape, we have a wind farm that most people are aware of around Caledon, mm. and those um, wind turbines are each, there's nine of them and they're, they're each three megawatts. That's a really significant amount of power and those, the top of those blades, you reach 180 meters above um, ground level, really, really big. Um, and the reason why they, they work is because in terms of um, the, the size that they're at, they just really, really are efficient in, in converting wind energy into kilowatt hours of, of energy for the grid. What's, what's great about solar, which is a bit different to wind, is that the same solar panels that we're putting out on these monster plants in the desert are exactly the same solar panels that you can put on top of your house. There's, there's, there's absolutely no um, technological difference. So from a scalability perspective, solar holds a really great advantage because you can deploy solar just about anywhere you want. You can, you can do it on a large scale in a place where there's the most sun, like, for example, Uppington, or you can put it on a commercial um, uh, roof um, of a business park, or you can put it on your house. So I think that for me was 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 a, was, was quite an exciting um, uh, difference, really, between solar and and wind, just because there's more options available. I want to talk about um, you know the. Uh Gauteng provincial government's uh, drive to um, ensure that uh, their uh, 
RDP houses, and I'm going to call them RDP houses, um, are, are equipped or uh, fitted with uh, the um, uh, solar geysers. And uh, some of the concerns that have been raised around this, I'd love to hear from our listeners. Those who have solar geysers in their homes, how are they treating you? Are you happy with them? Um, all I've heard is, is complaints, but is it an issue of uh, not knowing how to use the uh, solar powers efficiently? How do exactly do they work? And I also want to talk about uh, the work of Simon Hall in the construction of solar facilities in California and Spain and lessons we can learn as South Africa from those. It's our mover and shaker feature and we're talking to Simon Hall co-founder of Aurora Power Solutions and non-executive director at Solar Future and Dominic Wills, technical director at both companies. The Talk Show. This is the talk shop on SAFM 104 to 107. I am Masachaba Mdolo talking about renewable energy with uh, Simon Hall, co-founder of Aurora Power Solutions and non-executive director at Solar Future and Dominic Wills, technical director at both Aurora and Solar Future. We're taking your calls, questions or comments for our guests on 0891-104-207, or SMS 34701, SMS number is 34701 and SMSs are charged at two rand. Simon, let's go back to your time spent in California and Spain, you know, um, working in the construction of a number of solar facilities. What are the lessons that you think South Africa can learn from your experience overseas? I think the, you know, actually having experienced how um, these projects are put together overseas, and having now seen how they are being put together in South Africa, in many ways, the uh, the structures in South Africa, the construction structures in South Africa, and the construction companies actually completing the work are of actually a world standard. I, I think uh, on a very similar, if not better basis, in fact, than, than some of the, um, the the construction companies I was exposed to in the states. Um, the design phase of the project, that's obviously the crucial part which, which initially was, was missing um, in South Africa because obviously a lot of these plants were built um, overseas in the States and, and in Europe uh, and they have been built over the last 10 to 15, 20 years even, they've been building these plants. So they have, a, they have deep experience in the design and the project management of how these plants fit how different aspects and different phases of the plants fit together. But once that learning curve has been understood here in South Africa, which at the moment, you know, now having the, the program, at the moment we've, we've, we've almost constructed a, a 3,000 megawatts of renewable energy. Um, and they, the, these projects are, some of them turned on, some of them about to be turned on, some of them will be turned on shortly. Um, the, the, that learning has, has now actually been taken into account in South Africa. So I think in terms of the world stage, of having had exposure previously to how they do things then um, and how I see things now, I think we very much, um, we, could, we could safely say we, 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 we're on the leading, st- mm-hmm. leading step. Tell us about Gwenquincy's solar energy facility. The one in the Northern Cape. Conquincy is a solar site which we originally originated. We then partnered with a company called Biotherm Energy. And they were, they were the sponsors, the lead sponsors for the project. The project is uh, close to Porfada, which um, most people don't get to visit. But um, now that we have a solar farm there, I do recommend people go pop in and have a look. It's, it's, um, certainly the solar farm is very interesting. And, and, the, and the town actually, are subsequent to the project being developed, is also uh, turning around. There's a lot more development happening in that area. The, the project is 10 megawatts. 
So if you picture that in scale, it's it's 30 hectares, which is approximately 30 rugby fields worth of of solar panels. So it's 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 reasonably big. Um, the total amount of energy that gets produced out of that plant averages out. It does change, obviously, between winter and summer, but we we could probably average it out to about a one 1.4 million kilowatt hours per per month. And if you take that, if you want to compare that to a sort of household level, you can, you can probably average that out to about 3,000 households worth of power per month. So it's a substantial installation and was one of the first. I think it was really one of the, it was, it was around one project, which is which was the first tender phase that the, in this REIPP, the Renewable Energy Independent Producer Program, as we discussed earlier, which is the, the government, uh, the Department of Energy run program, which is really the enabler in South Africa to to start renewable energy, and this project was one of the first. So it was very in, in very much actually a guinea pig for for a lot of um, the future projects and 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 other companies in the industry. You also um, have uh, worked on the Aries Solar Project, the Aries Solar Energy Facility. That's correct. Yes, and the Aries is very similar. Also, same partner. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's in Kenart, so they're about 150 kilometres apart. And these are all in the Northern Cape. If you if you aren't familiar with with, with those names. Um, close to Uppington, and that's really the. If you look at the solar resource in those areas, the reasons why we 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 obviously are based in the Western Cape. The reasons why we chose the Northern Cape is is simply because the, the resource, the solar resource, is so good. And and you can, if you compare that globally, you you're looking at the top ten percent uh, geographically in the world uh, to to build solar farms. Um, so both those products are located in the in the in that area, and both are similar size. They they're both ten megawatt projects, and produce roughly about the, the same amount of energy. And how much uh, energy are they contributing into the grid? Well, all of the energy actually feeds into the grid. So the 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 nice thing about these projects is that. They are placed in areas which are very remote to where ESCOM actually generates most of their power up in the Purpa. And so and, and in this particular in these particular regions you usually have loads which are related to agricultural mining and those loads have to be served through transmission lines which are long long distances. So there's a huge amount of losses which are which are created on those lines. And having these uh, projects in these distributed areas actually helps a lot with, with mitigating those losses. So they're they're positioned in in areas where, where in fact the power is actually needed and, and, and is absorbed. So all of that energy is actually is actually sold directly onto the grid to ESCOM. Mm-hmm. ESCOM buys uh, all of it from us mm-hmm. and and essentially is absorbed actually within the within the local area that is produced. Dominic, Simon spoke about, uh, you know, um, summer and winter and the different outputs of energy during those times. How, how big a factor do the seasons play in solar energy? Um, Look, they, they they play a role. I mean, in summer, um, just the daylight hours, for example, are, are really um, a lot longer, obviously. And um, you know, the sun is, is up as, as early as sort of five o'clock in the morning, and um, and sets late. But one of the interesting things about about solar energy, and specifically to do with solar photovoltaics, which is really a solar panel that produces um, electricity as opposed to sort of a hot water um, panel, for example, which 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 um, transports hot water through a panel and, and just um, heats up water. One of the interesting thing about a, a photovoltaic panel um, is that they actually work better when it's cold. So there's the um, if if you've got a 250 watt panel um, operating at sort of um, a cold temperature, it can produce actually a bit more power than that. So what we're finding in the Northern Cap um, is that because the winters are cold um, and very clear, we're actually getting a production um, out of the out of the solar farm that's very close to what we're getting in summer, 
where the um, where the temperatures are just a lot higher, um, and that can be accounted for um, in, in terms of the in terms of that temperature difference. Um, having said that, though, you obviously, I mean, even despite that, you still actually get more power, obviously, in summer mm-hmm. than you do. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, if you take Gauteng, for example, the, um, that's also, um, it's very even between summer and winter because in summer, you, there's a lot of um, sort of thunderstorm action, action, action that happens in the mm-hmm. afternoons. Mm-hmm. And whereas in winter, um, it's, it's a very clear, very sort of um, open um uh, climate really, and uh, so the, the, the sky really. I mean, there's no clouds, and and so, and so you get a good, a very good energy production in winter. Very interesting. I want to talk about the cost of uh, solar energy. Um, we have seen uh, that uh, Eskom will has gotten the go ahead to raise their electricity tariffs, and we'll be talking about this um, when we come back. We're talking now to John in Bloom. I'm taking your call after this. The talk show. This is the talk shop on SAFM 104 to 107. I am Masa Chaba in conversation with our movers and shakers tonight. Simon Hall, co-founder of Aurora Power Solutions and non-executive director at Solar Future and Dominic Wills, a technical director at both companies. 0891 104 207 is the number to dial to join our conversation. 0891 104 207 or SMS 34701. SMS number is 34701 and SMSs are charged at 2 Rand. John and Bloom, good evening to you and welcome. Good evening, Matsuchawa. Wonderful program. Thank you, sir. Three questions to your clever device. Please can I explain how the solar energy is converted into electricity in that panel? Um, one of your guests um, alluded to that shortly uh, a while ago. And secondly, um, where do they foresee that we will have new solar farms in South Africa? In other words, where obviously is lots of heat is, is, is experienced although um, he's also just said something about uh, get better efficiency when the units are cold mm. and then the, the third thing is isn't the, um, this renewable energy, hasn't it been blocked in South Africa as I would understand it by the powers of be in other words Eskom because um, solar power would appear to me to be so much cheaper than, than Eskom power if you see what I'm saying I hear you, but I think that touches in with what uh, um, Simon was talking about, which is their collaboration with the Department of Energy and ESKIM in both Conquency and uh, Aries, but we'll we'll get a response from him. And it it, uh, it was answered when I spoke about political will in investing in renewable energy. John and Bloom, thank you so much for the call. Uh, Before we respond to John, I have an SMS that came in quite earlier on from Eric, and gentlemen, Eric is asking what is the current feed-in tariff for solar well the the feed-in tariff um, that is actually quite an interesting question if you look at the context of the whole the way that the program is now structured the the feed-in tariff is something which actually doesn't exist in South Africa and that it, it was a program which actually from international um, standards was something which was expected because a lot of the international companies followed the feed-in tariff program and for the listeners a, a feed-in tariff program is essentially a set tariff that the government or the regulator decides on and then the projects all bid to that tariff and as long as they're compliant and that they that they achieve the 
the directors or the, the, the actual outlet, whatever the program outlines for them to achieve, they will be awarded the project. In, in this case, in South Africa, it was in, originally along the lines of a feed-in tariff program at, at a set price, and that was then changed for a number of reasons um, into a competitive auction bid process, where essentially companies compete against each other on price, uh, um, not just price. In, in this case, in South Africa, it is 70% of the points are based on price and 30% of the points are based on social economic development scorings. And so the feed-in tariff program as such actually doesn't exist. It's more now, it has become an auction-based program where, where all, the, all companies are actually competing against each other on, uh, on, these, on, on this basis. And is that better? Yes, well, I mean, I think that, that argument, it, it is interesting because obviously the, in, the, in the beginning, it's where, where the risk is extremely high, where you are, are coming into a new market and you are trying to develop new projects um, and the and you are not sure where the price is going to be, so you don't understand what your returns, your return expectations could could become, and you have to are forced to spend high risk development money. In in that circumstance, it's a very difficult uh, uh, scenario, and that I think in the beginning when we came into South Africa was something we argued to say that for us to now have to spend a huge amount of money <clears throat> at risk without understanding what the, where the returns could be would be a big problem. However, I think the way that the, the, the Department of Energy and the South African government handled that was actually exemplary. They, they looked at the fact that uh, because the, the, the rounds would be staged, so there would be a number of different rounds, they, they figured out that in fact some of the early players, the, the, the companies which had spent significant time and money in the beginning, Mm -hmm. would be able to compete in, the, in, a, in, a, in a first round basis where the competition wasn't as high. In other words, in the way that the, the program, the, the, the actual regulations in, in, the, in, in the RFP is, is written are such that if, if the total allocation isn't taken up, then they don't need to compete on price. So in other words, they will, they'll, they'll be allocated. So it is like a quasi-refit system. They would have been allocated the megawatts, and that's exactly what happened in round one, where there were a number of developers that had spent a huge amount of money. Our, our company, our partners, would be a good example mm -hmm. of those. Um, and they were rewarded because the, the other companies just weren't ready. They didn't have enough time. They hadn't, they hadn't uh, invested enough money. And so the, the allocation that was, was, was given in terms of megawatts available in round one was not surpassed. There were, there were, there, there were less compliant products than there were allocation. In other words, all those products which were submitted were rewarded, the licenses. And then from, round, from there it went around the next round uh, where it was, became totally different, where now a lot more companies had more visibility. They had more understanding of the program worked, they could therefore were willing to spend uh, uh, money at, at, at potentially less risk, and the, uh, and the competition started. And so what actually happened was it it, it moved from a, a quasi refit type program into an auction and comp competition type program, which for the for the public, for the general public in South Africa, is certainly a good thing because we've seen the pricing come down absolutely immensely. I think mm -hmm. it's reduced by almost 60 to 70 percent to what it was in the beginning, and that's over three to four years. So there's been massive price de decreases, um, and that is exactly what the what 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 the this type of a program should actually be trying to achieve. Um, John and Bloom asked about uh, Eskom blocking efforts around renewable energy because uh, they are looking at uh, coal production, um, uh, um, at coal energy, so to speak. Um, what, what are your views on this? Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think they, they're trying to block renewable energy per se. I mean, I, I think they, I mean, potentially, I suppose, if you were sitting inside ESCOM, you may be worried that, um, you know, you're now competing against technologies such as wind and solar, where, you know, if you look at the average pricing for 
solar power, for example, you're looking at now a price below 90 cents per kilowatt hour. If you're looking at wind, you're probably looking at the range of 60 to 70 cents per kilowatt hour. And if you're looking at the production of, of coal, mm-hmm. um, you, now we're just talking about coal energy. Now that, that, that's probably about just on a rand, a rand. And that's the new build, that's the new build in the Dupi and Kasidi plants. So the, the renewable energy projects are becoming definitely more competitive than, than the coal. So, I mean, his, his question in a, in a way, I suppose, is quite valid. If you were sitting in ESCOM, would you be worried? Maybe you would. But I, in terms of the way the regulations work and nursery works and the way the, 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 the prerogative of the DOE and, and how they want to try and structure the regulations going forward, I mean, I, I, they, they, they can't just block. I mean, they are actively trying to open this market. They're, they're, mm. This independent power producer program has been incredibly successful, actually in South Africa and it is, it is, is now a leading program in, in other African countries as well, an example which has been set. So I, th- I think it's something which they'll definitely want to continue. It's, it's a great model with this, the public-private partnership that, that, that has been created. I think there's 140 billion rands worth of foreign direct investment which has been created by this, this, this one program. Mm-hmm. And that's to date. I mean, there's obviously a lot more rounds potentially coming. So the, it, it, it is actually incredibly valuable for, for, for South Africa and, and you know, I think they will see that. The, the call is correct. John is correct in terms of the uncomfortable side for ESCOM potentially, but um, you know, hopefully the, the, the powers that be will, will see the, the better side of it. But I understand as well that uh, ESCOM, as you said earlier on, is uh, utilizing the uh, solar energy from Conquercy and Aries. Um, you, you're feeding it to ESCOM, am I correct? Yes, that's right. So no, that, that's, that's, 100%, that's 100% correct. So, you, so basically the program in those projects that have been awarded now is over 60 projects which actually have been awarded licenses by by the Department of Energy. Uh, those licenses mean that there, that there's a power purchase agreement that mm-hmm. is signed between the project de- development company and ESCOM. Mm-hmm. And, that, and ESCOM then has to buy the power at, a, at the price that the, that the, that the, power, the independent power reason has won the project at. Um, and the, and if ESCOM doesn't pay that, then the Treasury also will step in and actually guarantee that. So, the, the that is working. I mean, there's, there's no doubt that that energy right now. I mean, it's, you know, t- tonight with the wind blowing, and tomorrow when the sun gets up, that those electrons will be flowing into the grid in South Africa. No. Talking about the cost of, uh, you know, um, energy via solar um, and uh, solar generation and uh, energy via coal generation, why does government not then look and focus more on developing more solar energy facilities? Um, Because we... Yeah, as you said, I mean, the cost of Midupi and the other uh, p- power plants is, is astronomical. And not only that, but they're running behind. Yeah, I think, you know, just reading the latest figures now, it looks like Midupi is three and a half years behind mm. uh, schedule. Mm. And, um, and, cost, and the costs are going up and up and up. Yeah, they've, they've, they've well over doubled. Um, I think there's, there's some merit to that. And so the, the government is um, procuring on average... 400 uh, megawatts of, of um, solar energy every single uh, year, um, which I suppose you could argue could be more because there, there, there are a lot more projects than that available. Um, what um, what they would argue, though, is that um, because solar energy is not what they call deployable, um, it's a little bit more difficult to just procure on a large scale. So, for example, when Madupi comes on in a few months' time, um, they're going to produce 800 megawatts, and that power can be produced at any time as long as there's coal available. Mm-hmm. Um, in the case of solar, um, that power is only available provided the sun is shining. And what what sometimes happens with with solar facilities is that um, 
you have days, for example, where it's intermittent clouds. So sometimes you'll be producing 100% of your solar energy and then uh, 10 minutes later you're producing you know, only 60% of that value. So ESCOM essentially has to have a kind of a spinning reserve available in order to pick up that slack. But what tends to happen is that when you've got enough of these solar um, projects spread around the country, they do aggregate themselves and they do kind of give you um, a more even, more averaged kind of effect on the grid. Um, And there's definitely a lot more headroom um, for solar before they start um, creating too much of a a headache um, for ESCOM. And when you you look at these these costs that um, Simon quoted a bit earlier... Mm. Mm. You'd think ESCOM would be crazy not to be buying more solar power the way it is at the moment because the energy is, is far cheaper than any new coal build. Mm. And what's probably more um, um, pertinent, I think, is that you know the escalation of, the, of that price is going to be fixed at, at 6% or, or inflation-related, whereas you never know with coal. The, it's, it's essentially... Um, um, it's 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 a mining commodity, so it, it, the the cost could rise twenty percent more. And you you never really know. And I suppose the the third thing is the time to build is incredible. In the last three and a half years, um, the renewable energy sector has built three and a half megawatt three and a half gigawatts, sorry, which is three thousand five hundred megawatts of solar and wind facilities. In that time, you know, ESCOM has been trying to build Madupi, which is only. Um, a quarter of that, mm. and they're still not even done. Mm, absolutely. John and Bloom asks about uh, how solar energy is converted into electricity. Yeah, so essentially, um, the solar panel it it gets struck by sort of photons that um, of light that are that contain energy, and what the solar panel does is it basically converts those. Uh, photons or the energy in those photons into electrons, which then flow within the solar panel itself. Um, and that process is described by the photoelectric effect, which Einstein did some work on back in the early 1900s and won a Nobel Prize for, if you want to go into a lot of detail. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the, 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 the important thing there, and, and we get this a lot in the industry, is that there is a distinction between a, a solar panel that produces energy, electrical energy, and a solar panel that produces hot water. They are different um, things. And what, what we've mostly been talking about, in fact, only been talking about in this um, in this interview so far is the ones that produce electricity, electricity which yes. obviously the ones that you're able to feed into the mm-hmm, grid. Mm-hmm. And, and just quickly before we move on with regards to where the new solar farms um, are, you're looking at locating them, just on the issue of uh, the solar um, energy that produces the um, hot water, Gauteng has rolled out, uh, has massively invested in the rollout of uh, the solar geysers. Um, and, and there's a lot of complaints around how they work. Do you think that there's adequate education around solar energy and heat generation? Um, I think with the, the rollout, I mean, the solar geysers um, and, and hot water heating, is it really is a superb, um, superbly efficient way of... of of offsetting what you would otherwise um, draw from ESCOM. Mm-hmm. There's two reasons for that. One of them is that the actual efficiency of those um, those panels tend to be very good. So the amount of energy that strikes one of those hot water um, panels, um, the amount of energy that actually ends up in the water is, is, is very good. It's very high. Um, and, and so that obviously, um, that obviously helps uh, the case. And the second thing that's great is that um, 
once that water gets hot, it's stored in a geyser, and you essentially have a kind of an energy storage um, system, which um, is, is, is not easy to do when you, when you start looking around at all the other types of energy storage options that are available. So, um, and then obviously that water is then used at a time when people get home and they want to have a shower, for example, in the evening, and that's when ESCOM hit their peak demand. That's when they really buckle under the strain. So when everybody turns on their geezers. So you're offsetting that, that peak demand, mm-hmm. which is really great. Mm-hmm. Obviously, though, with a massive rollout like this and the speed at which it had to be rolled out under ESCOM's um, integrated demand management program, I think that created a few problems. Um, the SABS were... were um, did a great job in, in getting a lot of these approved, but probably not all of them. And the way these are installed, on, on I think the market just expanded so quickly that um, probably substandard installations were starting to creep in um, all over the show. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And that's that's potentially a problem. I mean, it is it is one of those those sorts of systems where if you install it properly the first time, you you don't really need to touch it again for five ten years. You know, apart from replacing the odd seal and, and a few of the um, uh, perishable components um, but you know f- for the most part when people are doing things um, cheaply mm-hmm. um, you know and sometimes quickly. and quickly mm-hmm. sometimes the, mm-hmm. um, the, the, the effects are, are almost disastrous. Yeah, quality is affected unfortunately. John in Bloom also asked about uh, new solar farms um, where can they be situated? Yeah, it's also it is it is also a good question. Uh, the you know I think at the moment the, the geographic spread, as Dom actually pointed out, is quite wide. It's 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 a lot of the Western Cape, Northern Cape, some of the Eastern Cape. Actually, not not too much in the tell, but that might still come. Um, the, 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 there's obviously a good point of that because you can spread the power. The, the bad point is, is that sometimes you, you'd like to plan a little bit better where these, where these plants is, are set up. Obviously, they, they do take space. Um, and in wind turbines, for example, you may, you, you may have aesthetic negatives to them. Some people like, some people don't. So it's, it could be a controversial, controversial point. But I think, um, the, the, the government is also looking at that. The Department of Environmental Affairs, uh, in conjunction with the CSIR, um, have put together now a study which um, they are busy releasing or busy finalizing with renewable energy, energy development zones and these are zones which they have identified which they see as um, taking into account a lot of different things like solar resource like environmental impacts like aesthetic impacts like the grid connection potential mm-hmm. of those areas as being the best areas to Develop projects, um, and you know that that study will be publicly available. It, 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 you know, it, there's there's a corridor basically that they've put together, which which shows where the uh, where they where they believe the best place to develop the, the solar farm. It doesn't mean that you have to develop a farm there. They're just saying that if you do, do develop in those areas, they would actually help in terms of the permitting and licensing, licensing of those of those facilities. Gentlemen, unfortunately, we have to leave it right there, but this is definitely something that we'll be continuously talking about as we grapple with the challenges of uh, efficient uh, energy production in our country. Thank you so, so much for joining us this evening. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us on. Thanks a lot. Simon Hawke, co-founder of Aurora Power Solutions and non-executive director at Solar Future and Dominic Wills, technical director at both Aurora and Solar Future.